as we're kind of rolling in here, getting parking into our seats and such, I'm going to attempt in the next maybe few months slash years to transition our uh, announcements um, into right now, uh, just around 10 o'clock. So we can kind of, so you don't have a bunch of pastors standing up in front of you at the end of church talking about stuff that you already know. Um, the idea is we're going to, all the details to all this stuff is going to go out in the week at a glance. There's a calendar in the back of the bulletin. How many different times do we have to tell you, right? So, um, and even if, if the pastors are standing up there in the front and we're saying stuff's happening, it doesn't necessarily mean anybody's going to go to it. The best, the best sales tactic to get people to go to stuff is you guys. So like I can stand up there and say, hey, there's an Oktoberfest coming up and that's cool, but people who aren't gonna plan, people who weren't planning on going to that anyway, they're not gonna go just because I'm, just because a guy up there on a collar is saying you should go. What's gonna make them go is a friend at church, uh, somebody sitting next to him at church say, hey, why don't you come to Oktoberfest uh, with, with me this year? So that kind of thing, uh, we'll be able to unfold more and give more rationale and actually talk more about some of the church announcement type things. We can kind of keep, keep uh, inside the sanctuary, keep it um, church, church only type stuff and then move everything else in here. So with that, uh, voters assembly coming up today after late service. So grab some pizza, youth fundraiser, and then, um, uh, and then the voters assembly, which is relatively short. Um, it's, a, it's a relatively big church. It's not that big, um, but we do have a lot going on. And we do have, a, I mean, think about it, we have like a $2 million budget, which means there's a, lot of, there's a lot of moving pieces, a lot of moving parts, which means unless you want just me managing $2 million and ending up in prison, uh, I need you to, to get involved as you, as you see fit or as you, as you would be interested. Um, and, and the Lord has given us each different skills and abilities and backgrounds and so forth. So um, this is, so Paul talks about the church as a body. So there are fingers and toes and kidneys and spleens and yes, even an appendix for some of us. So all of us have a part to play in this. So if you, if you, are, if you do have certain uh, gifts that you like to share in the congregation, we can, put you to, we can put you to it. It's also a great way to help a big church feel like a small church to plug in somewhere and, and have fun. So that's the idea. You have the most fun doing what you like to do. So find somewhere that there's something in the church that's in the realm that you like to do, plug in and have some fun until it stops being fun and then get out, do something else, right? That's the idea. Uh, but you, you can't be on a board if you are, especially at the board level, we, until, unless you're going to a voters, you have to be like a voter. So, you, and that's good because the idea is we don't want like a bunch of people who don't actually know anything about what's going on in the church day-to-day -day life and they just jump on a board. You could do some real damage. So we've kind of protected ourselves. We've insulated ourselves from too much damage by saying you have to be an active member of the voters assembly and furthermore, an active participant in some Bible study because really you need to be studying God's word. And if you're not gonna take the Lord's word seriously, then why are you managing the church's money, for example, right? So uh, the idea is you guys are already in Bible study. So if you're not a voter already, please consider jumping onto the voters assembly. All you do is pop into a meeting, grab some pizza, pop into the meeting, uh, listen to some reports. And occasionally we have uh, big things we have to discuss, like calling a third pastor, approving budgets and so forth, but not, uh, mostly it's just reporting that takes place. But then also when, when big decisions come, like some, somebody could walk up to the mic and say, I move that we, that we sell the gym or we sell the whole church and school. We move into the old Butera over in Chicago. And then it passes, right? And then we, ah, that was a mistake. Oh, because no one showed up. Somebody made a mo. see how it goes? So you don't want that to happen, do you? <laughs> that would never happen, but you get the idea. Just get, in, get involved if you, if you feel um, like, you, like you have the time and interest. Um, today we're going to talk about Luke chapter 12 continued. Uh, let's begin with prayer from our, from our congregation at prayer handout. Lord Jesus, you are the good shepherd without whom nothing is secure. Rescue and preserve us. We may not be lost forever, but follow you rejoicing in the way that leads to eternal life. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. 
Luke 12, part 20. I don't know what today is, but we're working, our, chipping our way through. Uh, really, really rich, some really, really rich teaching from Jesus here. Um, first, we're going to hit the confession part, whoever acknowledges me before men. And then Jesus is going to talk a lot about our idols. And he's going he's to specifically call out money and the idolatry of, of money and stuff, things. But I, I think there's something we can certainly all relate to and be impacted by. So um, let's, let's get to it. Verse 8, uh, Luke 12, chapter 8. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men... The Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. So a little bit about giving a good confession of, of Jesus, acknowledging him before men, and then not, not being anxious what we are to say. He's going to get really deeper into anxiety in the, in the rest of chapter 12. But for now, with the acknowledging piece, uh, first, in verse 8, and I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I, something I didn't catch before, like, what does it mean to acknowledge acknowledge Jesus before men, like to give him a tip of a hat or, well, it's in contrast to denying him before men in verse nine, that is to the Greek word there is homilageo, which is our same word for what we use for confession everywhere else. Uh, homo, same, legeo, word. So to confess is to say the same thing back to God as he has already said to us. So the concept of confession we do it all the time. Like we confess the creed is simply saying back to God what he's already told us about himself. We confess our sins. That's simply saying, confessing to God, saying to God what he has already told us about, his, about ourselves. He says, you're a sinner. We say, I'm a sinner. He says, I love you. We say, you love us. He says, I forgive you. We say, you forgive us. Amen. I agree with that, right? So to confess is nothing other than to repeat back to God what he has already said to us. So to acknowledge Christ before men is simply to say who Christ, who Christ is, how Christ has revealed himself to us, to confess it before others as we're given opportunity. Uh, we actually reference this in the, in the confirmation rite or the, whenever we bring members into a membership of the church. Um, I talked about this a number of weeks ago um, how really we, 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 we have this word member that we also use for like Costco and clubs, right? So you can be a member of a lot of different things. And uh, what really what we're about in the church is having disciples, those who rejoice in the Lord's word and live from it. But when, you, when you're joining into fellowship with a congregation, you're saying, I believe what you guys believe. I confess, I, I talk about Jesus in the same way that you guys talk about Jesus. And we believe we're receiving the same stuff from him in both the pulpit and the altar. So we're, all, we're saying we're in unity in those things. So whenever we have a new member right, whether it's the, um, the new member right that we do for adults or for kids, we bring kids into, into membership after confirmation. I mean, just think of that word, confirmation. It's not like they... It's not like these kids or these adults didn't have faith or they weren't already belonging to the Lord. The, the only thing it's shifting is they're able, to, especially when it's, it's clearly seen when it comes to kids who maybe spend their childhood going to mom and dad's church and it's mom and dad's Jesus and mom and dad's religion. And then what happens at confirmation is the, is the kid is given this opportunity to stand in front of the church and say, this isn't mom and dad's church only, it's also mine. I believe this stuff about Jesus. I believe this stuff about myself being a sinner and needing Jesus, right? So we actually quote this from Luke 12 um, at the beginning of the installation, right? Whoever acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will acknowledge before the angels of God, and whoever denies me before men is denied. And then we just ask, what do you believe about Jesus? And, and the people who are brought into membership simply say, 
the creed. I believe all the stuff that Jesus has said about himself. I believe that God created us, that Jesus redeemed us, the Holy Spirit sanctifies us. All these things we repeat back. So that's, um, that's what's happening in, in uh, the rite of confirmation. And maybe this is an appropriate time to bring this up. So confirmation. We as LCMS, LCMS Lutherans, growing up in the 20th and now 21st centuries, we conflate these two ideas of confirmation and what? Communion, right? So we hold out before typically seventh and eighth graders that we're not gonna give you the Lord's Supper until you go through all these classes for two years and learn a bunch of stuff. Well, why do we do that? There's a practical reason why. Paul says we should be instructed. It's not exactly the word that he uses. Paul says we should examine ourselves so that we don't eat and drink judgment on ourselves regarding the Lord's Supper. And so we want to, we instruct people before they receive the Lord's Supper on what they're receiving so that they would discern the body. That's the goal, right? to discern the body. Lest a person eat and drink judgment on himself. So what we're after in, what we're after is, if I back far enough away, then like AJ can't read it anymore. AJ, are we still within your 2020 here? You good? All right. Uh, the goal, of, the goal in, in the Lord's Supper and in our instruction of people is, what is happening up there on the altar? And is it good or is it bad? You guys have probably all heard my discernment spiel before, but it's basically to discern is not the same as understand. Understand is like this comprehensive how, my, how the car works, how, all the, how the engine actually takes in the gas and like how everything works. But I don't have to know uh, how a car works to know that I shouldn't stand in front of it when it's moving fast. It can kill me. So electricity is a better example. I don't understand how electricity all works but I know that you don't stick your finger in a socket. So to discern is to be able to see between life and death, good and evil, right and wrong. That's discernment. That's the clear line in the scriptures. That's what Solomon prays for famously when we always translated that he prays for wisdom, which we associate with Gandalf the Gray and a bunch of good advice from an old dude. But, but it's really, he's, the word is discernment. Lord, give me a discerning heart, a hearing, a hearing heart, he says, that I would be able to discern between good and evil for your people. And then right away, he's presented with the prostitutes and the baby. Cut the baby in half. Because Solomon's after, we see wisdom there, but what Solomon's after is who is in the realm of life and who is in the realm of death, who is good and who is evil. So we see discernment in play right away with Solomon. When it comes to the Lord's Supper, what we're after is uh, for a person to examine themselves is to say, all right, am I a sinner or not? Uh, am, I, am I such a sinner that I need what Jesus is giving me right there on the altar? Um, and that's a pretty simple, that's a pretty simple thing that we're trying to teach, right? And you could do it quickly, you could do it at different levels, but the idea is there's a, there's a lot that, when, that goes into that, like all the Ten Commandments, how do you, like the Christian questions that, that from the small catechism is, how do you know that you're a sinner from the Ten Commandments they have not kept? What are the, what are the Ten Commandments? Well, I don't know. Well, then we need to teach you what the Ten Commandments are. Hence, why we have confirmation classes to teach why, why I'm a sin, sinner, what's the depth of my sin. But if, if I was to give a test looking for some kind of like academic criteria. Do you think you would pass it enough to be able to take the Lord's Supper on Sunday? If we turn this into an academic, like you have to get at least 65%, what is passing? 66, 69 is failing? Depends on the, whatever grade you're using, right? So what, what's, the, what's the scale we're gonna use? So if I give you a written test every Sunday that you have to make at least a 70 on before you can have the Lord's Supper, I've taken the Lord's gift and turned it away from discerning the body and now I've turned it into some kind of academic thing. 
So what we're after in the Lord's Supper is, is it the body and blood of Jesus for my good? Or is it bad? And, and why is it good? Because I'm a sinner. How, how deep does your sin go? Well, I'm, that's not, I'm, I'm not, I am not a sinner. I just do bad stuff. Well, then you don't understand the depth of your sin. You're not there yet. Uh, so the conversation on toward the Lord's Supper is a separate conversation than toward confirmation, which is we usually, we drop it in seventh and eighth grade, and we unfortunately hold the Lord's Supper out there as a, as a carrot on a string, you know, to get the donkey to walk. Because you can't get seventh and eighth graders to do anything. <laughs> uh, so it's always, it's how, you do, how we do it in our homes typically, right? I assume I, when my kids are in seventh and eighth grade, it'll probably be the same way. Um, do this or else. <laughs> Clean your room or else. Do the chores or whatever, right? We're always, we're always making things contingent. And the Lord doesn't give his gifts in a contingent way. But we're like, we can't get seventh and eighth graders to, to learn stuff. And so we're going we're gonna, to, we can't get them to come to a class in the middle of the week or something. So we'll stick it at the, we'll say, you're not going to be confirmed. You're not going to have the Lord's Supper unless you finish your confirmation class. And then we'll give you the Lord's Supper. Which unfortunately, it, it happens to coincide with the kids graduating from elementary school and entering into high school. So we have all the graduation ceremony, like we have the, like the graduation ceremonies, we have the classes at Bethany, you finish eighth, eighth grade, whether or not you come to Bethany, all the kids are shifting schools after eighth grade, they're going somewhere else. We're, trans, we're, we're, we're leaving what we did before, and now, go, now we're going on to something new. And so why are we surprised that we have a mass exodus of our kids after confirmation, we receive the Lord's Supper the first time, and then gone, right? We've kind of done it to ourselves. We'll just keep doing the same thing and expect different results, right? Or not. So um, we're actually going to start uh, this year. Um, that we, just, we, we were able to finally, now that we got the pastoral manpower to accomplish it effectively, we're going we're gonna to start moving toward a cleaner way of disassociating those two things. Confirmation, that is learning the the nuts and bolts of the faith, which I should go back to this. Like I should be able to teach a, an eight-year-old. I mean, how, how many of you have either have or have had a child who is eight years old? Do they know when they've done something wrong? We expect them to know. So they, they know remorse. They know what repentance is. So they're able to say, I, I've done this bad thing and I'm a sinner. They may, maybe haven't given them all the words to describe it yet, but they know how to work that out. And they're able to say, Jesus loves me. In fact, Jesus, they can probably say, Jesus loves me and dies for me and he forgives all my sins and mean it more than most of us adults. Faith of a child, Jesus commends, right? Um, but we, we, we want to hold off on teaching an eight-year-old the nuances of the sixth commandment regarding, let's say, gender identity and so forth. Because we'll actually do more damage than good if you're trying to teach kids certain things. So, so we want to we be able to have a forum in which we want to teach kids the nuts and bolts and the depth of the faith for the level that they're ready for. But trying to teach a seven-year-old about evolution, you're, we're, we're giving them a solution to a problem that they don't have. We're giving them a problem, right? So we can, we can separate the two, and many churches have done this effectively, is that we wanna have confirmation instruction in seventh and eighth grade and teach the, the, the nuts and bolts of the faith and the nuances of the commandments and so forth, uh, and more of it, pro, approach it more academically at a level that a seventh and eighth grader is clearly able to handle better than a younger, a younger child. However, the younger child is still able to do this. And by com combining First Communion with the Lord's, uh, with, with confirmation, I think we might be accidentally creating problems. And the Missouri Synod is onto this. Like we've been doing it not that long in the history of the church. And so now all these churches are starting to figure this thing out and say, man, we're, we're, why, we've got, we're losing all of our kids after eighth grade. What should we do differently? What, how can we do this better? 
So now, back to what I was saying earlier, now that we're, um, we've got more pastoral guns to accomplish it, we're going to attempt. Um, we, we actually did this at Bethany when I got here, my first year in 2015. They were, we were commuting down to fifth grade, but it had like these, there was an expectation that parents were gonna be doing all the catechesis at home, but we weren't really equipping the parents to actually do any catechesis at home. So we're basically saying, it's all on you to do it. We're assuming you're doing this at home. And then you, if you, as long as you give me the green light, dad, we'll, we'll commune your child in fifth grade. But there was no, there was no extended intentional uh, mandatory period of teaching that later, or even an expectation that the kids would be expected to go through confirmation in seventh and eighth grade. So all we did, we kept confirmation tied to first communion but we just moved it down to fifth grade. So we, 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 cheat, we cheat in the teaching, um, which, so we went back shortly thereafter, because I mean, Pastor Fisk put it together, if you remember him, but he wasn't here to see how to adjust the program to make it work better. So now that we're kind of living in the seventh and eighth grade realm, again, we're realizing, man, we gotta go younger, but we don't, we don't wanna give up the teaching that happens in seventh and eighth grade. But we still need to have appropriate forum, format, to catechize the young. So um, here's what we're, the elders just approved it this past week. So um, with the, the idea, the kind of picture in our mind will be to move toward teaching younger children, um, or younger than eighth grade, certainly, um, what is, what's going on in the Lord's Supper, Can't, are, what makes them... What makes them less qualified to receive the Lord's Supper than you? That you understand it better? Or you're, you've academically memorized more of the catechism? Walk into Kerry Janeski's class and ask those kids anything from the catechism. These second graders will mop the floor with you. Second grade. So you, we can't, it's not purely academic because anybody can memorize stuff and still not really get it, right? So we want to have a little bit of both going on, but why are we hinging in on eighth grade? Why is that the line? So we kind of want to back that up, disassociate the two, and make it, unfortunately, a bit more subjective. So um, right now, the, uh, the tentative plan is we're going to say, you know, like, if your kid's able to say the Ten Commandments, say the Apostles' Creed, say the Lord's Prayer, say the words of institution, they can, they can at least say all of those things. Dad says they're ready. And, and most importantly, you're not going to read about this in the week at a glance. You're not gonna hear about it in the announcements after church. I'm only telling you. Why? Because you're gonna be here. So I'm only, we're, only really op, we're only gonna be offering this to people who are showing that you're bringing your kids here. So right now, it's like, where are your kids? They're out there. What are they learning? The Bible, what we want them to learn. Is that gonna change when we start commuting them? No. So if a parent says they're ready, we'll take them through a six-week class, um, going through the main parts of the catechism, and most importantly, teaching them what it means to be repentant of our sin and having them see if they understand that. And when the class is done, we'll have a question for a questioning for them. And if pastors, we feel like they're, they're not ready, then we're going to say, not yet. Let's give it another six months and see how we're, see how we're doing. If, because we all know kids grow and develop at different speeds, different ages and stuff. So we can see this kid's maybe not ready, but this one's, this one's ready to go. So when I got a nine-year-old, a 10-year-old tugging at me and saying, when can I take the Lord's Supper? Oh, when you're ready. Well, okay, what do I have to do to be ready? Well, you got to know stuff. What do I have to know? Right? Well, you, get, you have to know that you're a sinner. I already know that I'm a sinner. You have to know Jesus loves you. I already know that lo no, you have to know he really loves you. I do. They don't have the doubts. They haven't been exposed to everything on the History Channel that we're, that we're exposed to constantly, right? So their faith is, this, like Jesus would say, the faith of a child. So there's a, there's, a, there's a clarity there. So you got these kids begging. Now, you also have kids that want, the, that want the, the free snack coming by on Sunday morning just because it's there and dad's grabbing it. And I can't remember who it is. One of your kids. I can't remember who it is. Always saying... What's it taste like? Like a, a commune mom and the kids every week. What's it taste like? She's like, shh, silence. <laughs> it 
tastes terrible. Uh, but so obviously that's not what we're after, a kid who just wants a snack. But it's the kids who are actually saying, I want Jesus. How do you say no to that? We have to do it in an organized way and in good order. We realize there's going to be bumps and things to figure out along the way. But that's the goal um, that we'll be rolling that out in hopes that we'd have our maybe first class of, of younger communicants coming up maybe even before Christmas this year. But nothing's changing insofar as they're going to be, after, after we commune them in whatever grade, they're going to keep coming here because you're still coming here. And if they stop and you stop, then we have a pastoral problem anyway. I'm calling you up either way. What are you doing? Right? So that's the, that's the idea. And so when we get into seventh and eighth grade, same deal. Those of you who have kids in seventh and eighth grade, they're, what are they doing right now? They're taking confirmation, Pastor Barton's. So the catechesis, the depth of the faith is still going to be unfolded, the memory requirements and all that kind of stuff, which is very good to go through. Uh, we're still going to certainly have those things, but we just want to kind of disassociate this receiving the Lord's Supper as an academic accomplishment that I now, now I deserve it. I deserve it because I've memorized this stuff. I'll be talking about that more. Today was the, the first time I dropped that bombshell on you, so I'm sure I'll be hearing back from you those of you who want to get angry, but I don't, I don't foresee it being an issue and, and plenty of things we can talk about. But so this, this acknowledging me before men that Jesus gets at in Luke 12, 8, what, why would one be tempted to deny Jesus before men? Well, why did Peter deny Jesus before men? What was his concern? Fear. Fear of what? Death. Um, I think it was in uh, Alex Clausen's class. She's our third, our new third grade, third grade, third grade teacher this year. And I'm in there. I try to go in there on Fridays to answer questions. And these kids, oh, they ask good questions. And this one kid's like, so heaven's really great. Jesus is there. All the bad stuff that we don't like about this world, like this long, she's doing a, she, she's, you can see it in her head. She's forming a, a uh, what do you call that? A, a, a list of, what do you call that? Pros, a pro and con list. Heaven's really got a lot of pros. Why don't I just expedite the process? No, 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 right? So we're not, uh, we don't encourage heaven to the death. Well, so I may use that as an example because for the kid, they're like, what is death? So you're telling me, because as parents, we're telling our kids not to be scared of stuff. Don't run into the street. Um, but ultimately, we know that we don't fear death because, you know, we'll be with Jesus, grandma's with Jesus, all this kind of stuff. So the kid's like, you're giving me a really great list. I'm not scared of death. I'm not afraid. So the kid is able actually to acknowledge Jesus before the, in fact, uh, I watched this play out. You know, I'm sure your kids have all been through it. My, I've got some really cool Hindus who live behind me and they go to their temple and we go to church. And of course for Annabelle, she's like, if you know Annabelle, she, she wants to talk about everything. And she hey, how did you guys go to church today? No, went to temple. What's temple? Uh, do, do you believe in Jesus? No, oh, it does not compute. You don't, so no Jesus? Uh, what do I, I don't understand. You should believe in Jesus. So there's not, so for me, I'm like trying to slow play it, right? <laughs> like you can't just walk up to their mom and say, hey, you should believe in Jesus, lady. It just we know that doesn't really work that well. It doesn't play out. We want to have that conversation, but in an appropriate way. But so we, but we also, we want, we want to have good neighbors. And I don't want to be that guy who's like too in your face about Jesus, but I need to be open and confessing about Jesus, finding that balance with my neighbors. That's, that's the way we approach it. Because we tend to lean more towards Peter and denying Jesus before men. Whereas the kids are like, let my, let my light shine. We're the ones with the problem. We got the fear. So that's, and that's Peter. So it, uh, let's see, whoever acknowledges me, confesses me uh, before men, the son of man will acknowledge before the angels of God, but the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Now, so you have the example of Peter denying Jesus at the crucifixion three times. Ah. And obviously he's forgiven. There's restoration there. So we have this, this, 
But and also, if you were to ask Peter, I mean, we're, we're, reading, we're reading the subtext there. We know behind the scene, it's not like Peter became an atheist. He just chickened out. But the faith was still there. It just wasn't like being confessed. But there's also, we know very well, there are those who are going to deny Jesus before man because why? They actually don't believe him, but believe in Jesus. So there's a real sense that those who deny Jesus before men are denied in heaven. Um, but then there's also, we know specifically using Peter as an example, those who deny, deny Jesus before men who are restored and forgiven, which is the work of the Holy Spirit, which is right where Jesus is going here. Verse 10, and everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Those words coming out of Jesus' mouth have to strike us like this, this like echoing boom. Like when Jesus says, will not be forgiven, it's like that, that, that doesn't make sense. Jesus forgives all sins. I mean, it's not like Jesus has died on the cross. And he's like making a list of things that were too bad for that blood to actually cover. So when Jesus says, there's a sin that will not be forgiven, what's he, what's he getting at? What is the sin? What's he talking about? Well, let's use the language of Jesus. It's the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit. Well, all right, so let's back up. If I speak a word against the Son of Man, I'm able to be forgiven. How? Was it? No, I asked for an example. Did you ask for an example? If I, if I sin against the Son, how am I able to be forgiven for that? You ask for it. Well, why would I ask for it, Steve? Why would someone ask for forgiveness if it was a good thing. Is it a good thing? Yes. No, no. Is it, is it a good thing to, to speak evil against the Son of Man? No. So I know it's wrong, and I ask for forgiveness. What's that called? Repentance. Who gives that gift? The Holy Spirit. So now we're getting into why it's a, deal, it's a, it's a bigger deal to reject the Holy Spirit. is to ultimately refuse repentance, to say... I am not sinful. This thing is not bad. I'm going to hold on to these sins. Like I'm going to hold on to a cinder block out in the ocean. Not a good idea. But he'll let you do it. And that's, so unrepentance is a rejection of the Holy Spirit. A denial of the fact that I have sin that needs to be forgiven. We're really, we call it unbelief. Dave said a second ago. We just reject God. Or to reject God is ultimately unbelief or to say not to to not confess back to God what he said about himself I am a sinner Jesus died for sinners Jesus died for me I'm so sinful Jesus that I don't even I don't even feel as bad about my sin half the time as I should I've got so many calluses on my heart from repeated use that I'm starting to not even feel so if I'm even I'm, I'm repenting for my for my inability to repent right. But that's still repentance. Lord, help me. Forgive my, help my unbelief, the disciples say. That's a different picture of repentance than someone who's saying, well, I'm not, I'm not so bad. I don't need, I don't need Jesus. That's, that's how we're getting into this. Sins will not be forgiven because they, Jesus is letting you hold on to them. If you want to hold on to your sins, he'll let you do it. And that's how they won't be forgiven. Jesus is taking them away. So uh, you come to church and you go to the altar and you, and, you, and you just kind of like, for lack of a better word, vomit your sins all over the altar. And Jesus mops it up every week. That's pretty vivid, but hopefully it sticks with you. I mean, that's what Jesus is doing. He's forgiving our sins. He's taking it upon himself. And, and by the way, with um, like con confession and absolution, we come and we confess the whole lot. We, I, I am a poor, sinful being. 
with thought, word, and deed, the sins I do, the sins I don't do, that I am a sinner, I only got bad fruit. It's all, it's, so it's, I'm confessing the whole lot, empty pockets. Um, but there might, but we notice there's no specificity in that confession. And so as Jesus actually gave the gift of private confession and absolution, it is there for this repeated, for when I'm a repeat offender, and there's like one particular sin that I'm just like, I can't, get, I can't seem to shake it. Because the thing is, especially in our Christian selves, we know that our sin is not good for us. It's not just not good because Jesus said it was bad, but rather Jesus says it's bad because it's actually not good for us. See the difference? It's also bad because he says it's bad, but really our sin hurts us and it hurts everybody else. So we're trying to shake it. I want to stop doing this thing. So that's the idea. That's what private confession, confession and absolution is. The sinner coming before the pastor in private, confessing uh, what particularly ails me is. I mean, if you've never been through private confession, I encourage you to do it. Right now it's by appointment. Maybe we'll set it up in Lent or something. Um, so so you, if, you ever, if you see the right, you can flip to it in the middle of your hymnal. The right of private confession and absolution is simply, I am a sinner. Jesus died for my sins. Uh, the sin that particularly troubles me is dot, 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 and there's a blank in the, in the rubric. It's a one-page right. There's a blank. There, the, the rubric says, whatever particularly troubling the person, or nothing might be particularly troubling the person. Say, there's nothing, it, I guess there's nothing to really put my finger on, or I'm not ready, I'm not ready to talk about this. And that's fine. And then the forgiveness is given. And when particular sins are confessed, then there can actually be conversation with the, from, with the pastor of like helping using the scriptures, using prayer, using ways to fight against the devil in this particular sin. Uh, yes, yeah, sometimes anger gets the hold of you. Why is that? Let's talk about why that is and why we can, how, how we can maybe handle this next time. Um, but then forgiveness is given. Yeah, do you believe the forgiveness that I give is not my forgiveness, but God's forgiveness? Yes, I believe. Then let it be so, as you have said, hands on the head. As a called and ordained servant of Christ, that is... His idea, not mine. He's forgiven, not me. I forgive you all of your sins in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Sins gone. Vomited over the rail, wiped away, clean. You come back to me tomorrow, the day after, and say, Jesus, uh, Jesus, Pastor, remember that sin I was telling you about yesterday? And I say, no. I don't want to, I don't want to carry that with me. You don't want to carry it with you. That's why he gave it to me. I'm leaving it with Jesus. That's the idea gone. Now, might there still be earthly consequences for you and, and so forth for your sin? I mean, sure. But as far as God remembering it, and so far as me, done. What, forgiven. That's what forgiveness means. That's always Jesus takes away my sins. What do we mean when we say takes away? We mean he takes them away. Right? So when there's particular sins that trouble us or haunt us or drive us to do evil that we don't want in our especially insofar as we're Christian selves, we don't want to keep doing this. So that's why private confession absolution is there. But it's in that, it's, this is the work of the Holy Spirit to drive us to repentance, to want to, to, want to, stop, to, to stop doing this thing. But when that's gone, when the Holy Spirit's not, when the Holy Spirit is rejected, that is, I don't, I don't have sin, I don't need forgiveness, I don't need Jesus. I don't need Jesus. I don't need forgiveness. He's not going to force it on you, right? That's not how love works. And so it'll let you have it. So that's this. So don't worry. If you're sitting there worrying to yourself, maybe have I done? So the, the one unforgivable sin is the sin against the Holy Spirit. Uh, I got to make sure I don't do that one. Have I done that one? Because if I've done it, there's no forgiveness for it. So it's not like you can go back. There's no, there's no fixing that problem, right? It's not forgiven. So... Have you done it? Have I done this? I'm worried about, well, by you simply saying, by having that concern is indication that you are not rejecting the Holy Spirit. The fear of, the fear of condemnation is repentance. You see? So you don't need to, so if, if, you're, if, you're, if you're actually concerned about losing the Holy Spirit and not being forgiven, then you're exactly the candidate for forgiveness and the Holy Spirit. Isn't that cool how that works? 
Uh, and when they bring you, then he, now he's transitioning more to this specific, specific opportunity to confess the faith. Um, when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and authorities, as was experienced by Peter, Paul, Stephen, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. It doesn't say that don't, don't worry about whether or not you're going to die. You're certainly going to live. No, because what you remember from two weeks ago, whenever we talked about it before, is Jesus is saying, fear not the one who can take your body. And that's the worst that they can do. But we want to fear the ones who can actually send our, our soul to hell eternally, right? So we're, we're, we're given to make this good confession. And how do I make the good, what am I going to say? Well, don't worry about it. Don't be anxious. Uh, how you should defend yourself. The Greek word there for defend yourself is the same apologia. It's the same word for apologetics, which we're actually talking about theology on tap. This Thursday, seven o'clock, be there. We're wrapping up a book on apologetics. Uh, Adam Francisco, one of our members, is a guru of apologetics in the Missouri Synod. Like he's like our, if I had a list three guys in the Missouri Synod who are the best apologists that we have, he'd be at the top of that list. And he's in your congregation. And he's doing Theology on Tap for free. So, uh, and he's working through the book that he himself picked out for this class. And so there's extra copies on, on the desk in the, in the church. If you, haven't been, if you haven't been able to come yet, come this week because we're going to summarize all the arguments in the book as we introduce the next topic for next time around. But apologetics is... Just making a good defense for the faith. Get, making a confession for the hope that you have within you. That's not necessarily going to be the thing that persuades somebody else. Jesus doesn't say you have to persuade everybody else to agree with you. He just says, why, do you, why is it that your loved one died and you're sad and yet you're still kind of hopeful? Why, do you, why are you hopeful in the face of death? Well, what's the answer to that question? How does a Christian answer that question? What's well, easy? Well, I'm hopeful in the face. I know I'm going to see this person again. It's sad right now because I really love this person. They were a great gift from God. And now I've got to deal with X of how many years before I see them again in heaven. But I will see them again. That's the hope that we have. We grieve, as Paul says, but not as those who have no hope. That's the good confession that we're able to make. So don't, don't be anxious about what you should say. Give the, good, give the good apologetic, the good apologia, the defense for why you believe what you believe. I believe the Bible is actually true. Jesus actually died and rose for me. He stays with me now. That's what I believe. Kill me if you must. But I know where I'm going. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. So it's not that he marionettes us, but like this, I mean, I, you've probably been in that situation where sometimes, you know, you, it's usually, you, you, have you ever been arguing with somebody? I know none of you would ever argue with someone. But like, and then five minutes later, you think, I should have said, it's like the George Costanza. What was the George Costanza? Oh, yeah? Well, the, sh the ocean's running out of you. Anybody? Seinfeld? No one? Gosh. Well, you're always thinking about later what I should have said then. Well, the idea is, don't worry about that. So give a good confession of what it, the Lord's going to put it on your mouth, give you the opportunity to say what you're going to say. Now, by the way, not only that, but as those who actually believe in Jesus and haven't rejected the Holy Spirit, what are you doing like every day between now and when you're finally dragged in front of the courts to make a defense for your faith? Like what are you doing right now? But learning God's word, learning to confess why I believe what I believe, praying for strength to endure in the trials. So you're actually... It's, you're cramming the backpack full of what you're going to say when the time comes, even now. Right? Because we've got an eye toward... Like, that's, why we teach, that's why we teach the kids the Lord's Prayer. It's why, we, it's why we do the liturgy every single week. Because the, um, when, you, when you find yourself at the bedside of a dying loved one, and some of you guys have been asking me this lately, unfortunately, like, because our loved ones are dying and you're there... What do I say? What's the magic thing? I can't, I can't think of any script. Okay, well, Psalm, do you know Psalm 23? Well, no, I, I guess I could find a Bible. Well, just learn Psalm 23 so you have it when you need it. Put it in your pocket. 
How about uh, Psalm 51? Create in me a clean heart, O God. I, I can't, it's hard to remember, but I can sing it. Why can you sing it? Because I sing it every week. So sing it. They're dying. They don't care how bad your voice is, right? So bring them that comfort that you know, the Lord's Prayer. Do you know that? Yeah, lean on that. Lean on the stuff that's, that you know, and it's, it's, it's there for you when you need it. That's part of why we repeat it every week now. But also, if you know you're going to be enduring stuff, like for those of you who are like, yeah, for Thanksgiving every year, I got to get together with my family, and I got that one cousin that he's a, he's a Mormon, and he's always a, like pushing his Mormonism on my kids, and I just, I just want to avoid him. Well, why? He's asking you to play. Go brush up on your Mormons, Mormonism. And why the gospel is so helpful for someone who's trapped in that idol. Uh, so you've got time. Study up. Right? Then go, go have fun. And then come back and study more when you, where you fail, right? But that's what we're doing. So the, and we walk into it with a confidence that God's going to give us the strength to say what we need to say in that moment. Um, that's number three on the top of your handout. The, the boldness and the confidence with which the Christian makes confession. The source of that boldness is the Holy Spirit, who we haven't rejected. But we're going to the Holy Spirit constantly asking for forgiveness. And, and where does the Holy Spirit work? Through what does the Holy Spirit work? The Word. The Word and sacraments, right? So let's acknowledge, acknowledge me before men. Um, and we only got like three minutes. So I think this would be an appropriate time for it. Let's talk about it. Yeah, how you doing? Let's question it up here. Take a minute. I'll just keep talking. Yeah. I've always heard somewhere, I got the impression of the nuance, that this is more directed at the apostles and pastors than us. So um, Dave asked, is this directed at the apostles or us? Uh, he's talking to his disciples. I mean, let me go back. Well, you know what? I don't have to do that. What's the, what's the fourth, fifth word on verse 8? Everyone. Is that exclusive or inclusive? <laughs> it's pretty inclusive, right? So he's, he's not saying only the apostles, right? There are, there are some things that are given specifically to the apostles. This is not one of them. I would say it's, the, it's given specifically to the disciples. What's the difference in a disciple and an apostle? Is there a difference? Yeah, so you're a disciple, I'm an apostle. I'm a disciple, you're not an apostle. In, at least in the biblical sense. So the, the apostles, apostello, is to send. Specifically sent as a called and ordained servant of Christ and by his authority, that is, uh, they gave me a FedEx. You guys sent me a call document and said, come, come here and forgive our sins. And so I'm sent here for this purpose to stand in the office of Jesus and forgive sins. That's a po apostle. Uh, disciple is one who's learning, one who's learning from Jesus. So to sit at the feet of Jesus and receive his word, to learn his word your entire life long, you're a disciple. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching, and that's what you're learning and you've been baptized, right? That's a disciple. So this is given over to the disciples, all of us, to make a good confession. So what's nice is you're sitting here saying, why? Well, I hope I have the, think about how this, right now you might be saying to yourself, well, first of all, I just hope I'm never dragged in front of a court and put in a situation where my life could be on the line to make a confession of faith. But if it were, I hope I would have the strength to say the right thing and the courage to actually give a good confession. And that's exactly what Jesus is anticipating. That's why he says, do not be anxious. Don't, don't worry about it. You're gonna be, it's going to be okay, right? Not only, not only don't be anxious about what I'm going to say, but so, so think about it. What's, what's so paralyzing, and this is what Jesus is going to talk about for, in the parable of the rich fool that's coming up next, and, and really the, in the parable after that as well, the rest of Luke 12, is this paralysis. Like we get paralyzed by the fear of what could be tomorrow. And um, like here, like I'm paralyzed. I could be paralyzed by the fear of death if I'm not actually believing in what comes after death. So once I know what's, what's cleaned up for me, what the death has kind of transitioned into a door into heaven, 
then actually then for me to stand in front of the, the courts and give a good confession, it changes my fear, doesn't it? So that I become more and more afraid of losing this life only when, I'm, when I don't believe that there's another one coming. So I'm going to hold on to this one really, really, really tight because I'm scared of losing it. It's my idol, my first commandment problem, see? But the more, I, the, more the Lord opens my eyes to have faith in what's coming, then this doesn't really bother. So now I'm standing in front of the courts and able to give a good confession without fear. And that's our prayer, right? All of us are sitting in the luxury of Naperville right now as we're being protected in the borders. And even though, I mean, laws, to be sure, laws are changing and persecution is on the rise and so forth, but it's nothing here like it is for our Christian brothers and sisters in, in parts of Asia, certainly in Africa. So that, I mean, we have, they're given opportunity daily so for them to go to church, for us to go to church, it's like, you know what, is there, there's an inch of snow out, an inch of rain this morning, like two inches of, I was hydroplaning, it was crazy. But I didn't actually think I'd get here and someone would try to kill me. So the worst we had to face was a couple inches of rain. Yeah, people saying, this morning, I hope none of us get killed, sweetheart. That's what, so what an what a opportunity we have to, to worship freely. But if we are, if we are, Given such an opportunity to confess the faith, we pray for strength to do it with boldness and confidence. And between now and then, we pray for strength of faith and we study God's word so that the words are there when we need them and all while not being anxious. We're one after. One more chance, one more. Yes. Yeah. So, so I think that the helpful counsel there is that it's not your life anyway. So if the Lord, if the Lord's ready to call you home, it doesn't matter. Like you're, if we're trying to like make excuses for why I shouldn't give a good confession as though I'm going to decide if and when I get killed or if and when I go to heaven. He's the one who decides. There, he's the one who gave you those kids. He's the one who's going to take care of them when you're gone. Right, he's always going to call you when he's good and ready, right? So he doesn't, he doesn't get bogged down in the weeds of that. It's just like, give a good confession. And what better way, what better thing to teach your kids? I mean, I mean we, 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 can, we can teach about this in the lap of luxury here. It's just so much easier in the abstract to talk about being martyred. But think about that. What do you teach your kids when you die for the faith? You teach them what, what the true God is, right? Next week, we'll jump into the parable of the rich fool. Some really great teaching of Jesus both today and then, and then coming up. The Lord be with you.